0: Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me, I'm Howard Parker. Rick Lang, a New Hampshire resident, wasn't exposed to bluegrass music until he was in his 40s. After being bitten by the bug, Rick tried his hand as singer and band leader, but eventually decided that his path was to be songwriting. In 1990, after the usual inevitable failures, Rick got his first break when the Lonesome River Band released his tune, listen to the word of god to critical acclaim in the decades since rick Lang's songs have been recorded in bluegrass southern gospel and even jazz in 2019 his song gonna sing gonna shout took ibma's gospel recording of the year award and in 2021 rick was nominated for ibma songwriter of the year and mentor of the year In this podcast, Katie Daly sits down with Rick Lang and discusses the art and the business of songwriting.
1: Rick, you and I met many years, probably maybe 15 years ago, on a shuttle bus from the Nashville airport to the Nashville Marriott for IBMA. And you were asking everybody on the shuttle bus if they had any ideas of what someone should do, you know, for an album that's being released and that's where we met and it's been a long long time since then and you've had many honors and many exciting things happen to you uh, on thursday night you're nominated for mentor of the year for ibma and also songwriter of the year you are in with some very heavy hitters for songwriter so good luck with that and uh and uh, i'm sure you've had many other awards but what we want to know is what road you took what happened in your background that got you here. You're from New Hampshire.
2: Yes, and uh, thanks very much, Katie, uh, and thank you for giving me an opportunity to share a little bit about my journey uh, that led to where we are now. I think I would say that my my pathway to getting to where I am in the songwriting world is very unusual and unlike anybody else's. Uh, I didn't first get interested in bluegrass music or Realize that it existed until I was in my mid 40s. And uh, I stumbled upon it by accident and I fell in love with it because it was the first music that I heard in a long time that was real and genuine. And um, I tried my hand at learning instruments. I played and bought most of the instruments you hear in bands and failed miserably learning how to play those instruments. To the point where I realized I wasn't going to be a music, a bluegrass musician, and uh, then I, I got in a band with some friends, and uh, and I played guitar and was a lead singer, and we did okay. But I realized my voice isn't strong enough to, to carry a band and and have that be something that I that people would really kind of, uh, you know, embrace. So, like. I wasn't going to be a musician, and I wasn't going to be a singer, and and I think I'm like, what can I do? So I was listening to um, a bluegrass Cardinals record back in, back then, uh, back in the uh, mid '80s, and they started uh, um, they were playing a, a Randall Hilton song, and they they played the song "32 Acres" by Randall Hilton. And I fell in love with the song. And, and the story behind the song, and I thought, God, maybe I want to write songs like Randall Hilton. Maybe I could be a songwriter. And I had never really tried to write songs in my life, and I said, well, what if I get to lose? So I started writing, uh, I started my writing journey back then, and I had no one to help me. So I was this guy in New Hampshire, which is not the center of the bluegrass world.
1: What part of New Hampshire?
2: Uh, on the seacoast. Kingston, New Hampshire which is only about 20 minutes from the ocean.
1: My father was from Newcastle, New Hampshire You know where that is?
2: We go near there all the time. Oh. It's, it's right. It's right near uh, Odeon Point. That's right. Where we go uh, <coughs> Often for walks to walk the jetty in Odeon. It's just right around the corner, right? And and the ocean's always been a great source of in- inspiration for my songwriting where a lot of songwriters uh, even if you go back to the 30s, 40s, and 50s, would write about the hills and the mountains living, because I never experienced that. I ended up kind of embracing the ocean and the seacoast and write, ended up writing about what I knew more about, which was the, which was the sea and the ocean. But um, uh, I, I had, a, um, over the years, have been very influenced by my living in New England and on the seacoast. And, and that uh, infiltrates into a lot of the songs uh, that I've written or co-written. So if you go back to the 80s, when I started writing songs, I, uh, I would I could compete with anybody in writing the, the worst songs you've ever heard in your life. If there was a competition for the worst song, I would have entered it, but there were no competitions, so I couldn't do it. But I kept writing and writing, and I was struggling and not getting anywhere. So one time... I, uh, I, I get the nerve up to reach out to Randall Hilton, who I didn't know and didn't know me, told him I was trying to learn how to write songs, but I was, wasn't doing well, Could he help me. And, and he, he, I wrote him a letter, and he wrote a letter back, said, Jesus, Rick, I'd love to help you. Why don't you send me a cassette of a few of your songs? And I'll listen to them and I'll give you some tips and ideas and maybe how you can make them better. I couldn't believe he wrote me. Are you kidding me? Randall Hilton wrote Rick Lang a note. A letter so I would send him a tape of songs and they're all bad and he would be very kind and and saying well you know maybe you might try this on the verse and maybe try this and he gave me tips and, and encouragement uh, picking up my spirits and said you know it, it takes time for for everybody to learn how to write good songs and you're doing well you know uh, and just keep at it and uh, it took me a long time to to I before I get to Wires, writing really good songs. So so his
1: encouragement really kind of lifted me up. And this was all before the internet, and phone calls were pretty expensive in those days. So you were doing this all through the U.S. Mail.
2: All through the U.S. Mail. And I've, like, I have two dozen letters from Randall Hilton that I treasure that are in my home that he wrote, encouraging me, trying to help and mentor me by, by mail, handwritten letters. Mm. And, and that got me over the hump. And all of a sudden, I started improving and, um, and started uh, pitching my songs. And, and all of a sudden, people started recording them. And that's really kind of, that was my beginning.
1: Right. When you pitch, how do you pitch a song?
2: Well, in the very beginning, I, I did it very poorly. I would just take a cassette of songs and sending, send it out to people I didn't know. Never heard of, and I would just mail it to them and ask them to listen. And I know most of them ended up <laughs> being pitched, being pitched away. But then I then I learned that you really need to network and and meet bands and and artists and uh, pitch songs to people that you know and ask them for permission and uh, and hope that they will at least listen to your songs. So um, I started doing that and I would go to bluegrass festivals and go to concerts and meet artists and ask them if I could send them some of my songs and I started relationships with a, a few bands and, uh, and eventually, it was a, this was back in 1990, I, had, um, I sent a, a tape of songs to the Lonesome River Band after Jan, Dan Taminski joined them and uh, it was three or four songs and three out of the four songs were not great but there was one song on there was, that was pretty good, and, and, uh, and I didn't hear back from them, like I didn't hear back from 99% of people that I sent cassettes to. So I just figured no news is news in itself, so that's fine. So I, was, uh, I went to an Allison Krause concert in central New Hampshire one year. Uh, later that year, and I'm in the, and I'm in the audience waiting you know, to hear the next songs, and I looked up and Dan Teminsky was in the hall, in the hallway near the bathroom, and I walked up to him, I said, Hi Dan, how you doing? He said, I said, What are you doing here? He said, Well, they asked me to sit in with them and do a few songs with him. I said, Oh God, that's great. Then he says, By the way, you sent us a tape with some songs, and one of the songs would listen to the word of God. I said, Yeah. He said, We really like that song. We want to record it, but Tim lost the cassette. Is there, is there any chance you could send me another one? I said, Tim, I'd send you two dozen cassettes. So I went home and I made copies of it, and I sent it to him. So within six months, the Lonesome River Band's releasing Carrying the Tradition, we listened to the Word of God, my first major cut, which was a really popular song at the time, and ended up being on Album of the Year. (laughs)
1: <laughs> now what if you hadn't gone to the Allison concert? What if you hadn't seen him standing in the hallway? You never would have known they wanted that song. No. This th- is... They
2: never would have recorded it because they didn't have it. Right. And it would have just never happened. Right. It was just fake. It testing. is.
1: It's great. <laughs> okay. That, and that actually happened. I, I know. it, And it's a wonderful story. So how would you keep going after that? Well, the Listen to the God Word of God cut really lifted my
2: spirits and gave me hope because at the time I wasn't very confident in my songwriting um, and I just felt like I wasn't, I really wasn't up to a level where people would record my songs. I figured I just wasn't good enough and I was considering maybe I shouldn't do this, maybe I should just quit. But after that cut and people would respond and people would call me up and say, God, that's my favorite cut on the record. and like it lifted my spirits and gave me hope that maybe if I work hard at it I could become a good songwriter. So that was a catalyst of me going to rolling up my sleeves and going to work and work harder at it. And and I uh, and I uh, so I I I used that as a catalyst and just put more effort into songwriting, more time into songwriting. Made it my priority in life. That's gonna be my focus when I'm not working in my my, my professional career in the lumber business. I'm spending 100% of my time on songwriting.
1: Alright, so what is your day job?
2: My day job is the hardwood lumber industry which I entered 50 years ago Um, and my wife and I started our 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 own company Highland Hardwoods in Brentwood, New Hampshire 35 years ago. We supply high-end hardwood lumber like uh, oak, cherry, uh, hard maple, black walnut mahogany beautiful hardwoods to the woodworking trade to make chairs tables uh, kitchen cabinets beautiful hardwood floors and very high-end things made out of hardwoods out of our wood and uh, we've had a 35-year run of doing that
1: wow do you do any uh, wood carving or furniture making yourself no, I only have like three tools
2: in my home. I have a hammer, a saw, and a chisel, and that, and I couldn't, I couldn't do any of that. But, but um, was this a
1: family trade, a business kind of?
2: I fell, I fell into it by chance, uh, in 1970, when uh, I out of, when I get out of, uh, when I get out of uh, college, uh, the University of New Hampshire forestry program. I went to a, a lumber inspection school in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, That taught you how to uh, value and grade and tally hardwood lumber to go into the furniture trade. And I came back uh, and uh, I couldn't get a job in the industry because I didn't actually know anybody. So I got a job at my uncle's restaurant at Hampton Beach for 85 cents an hour clearing tables. And um, I figured, well, I'm not going to be getting anywhere. I'm never going to get in the hardwood business. A month later, a gentleman called up that was starting a brand new lumber company from scratch, and he was a seasoned veteran in the industry. The company was in the next town from where I lived, he was just starting out and he wanted to hire a young man to work with him and start his new business and hired me. Wow. And that was in 1970 and that kick-started my career in the lumber business.
1: Wow. <laughs> you have, uh, what is the word for it? Kismet? Is that what it is? The right word? Good luck. I don't know what it is. Good,
2: good luck. If you believe in fate and destiny, somehow I was destined and, and meant to do that. And 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 after after a while, I realized this is my calling. I was meant to be in the lumber industry. I feel comfortable there, and I learned I learned to be pretty good at it. But then, as I went along, my passion and love for bluegrass music and songwriting elevated, and it grew and grew and grew to where it it really was at the same level as a lumber business so i had this great passion and love for uh, the hardwood lumber industry and songwriting and music and i learned to do them both at the same time so i would work around the clock so i'd have enough time for my songwriting and music and i said i can coexist in both worlds so i've coexisted in both worlds ever since ever since then
1: now are you um uh, songwriting on your own, or do you do co-writes with people? And who have you co-written with?
2: Well, I had always uh, written solo uh, back in the in the early days in the 80s and 90s, um, uh, because I didn't, I couldn't find any songwriters in my area. There were no no bluegrass songwriters in New England, so I, w- I couldn't find anybody to write with, and I knew nothing about co-writing. So one of the biggest things that impacted my life was going to Leadership Bluegrass in 2012. Now, Leadership Bluegrass changed my life and, and led me through the door of being involved with the IBMA and, and the Bluegrass community and, and, and helped me, uh, gave me ideas of how I could contribute to the Bluegrass community. But at the same time, uh, when I was going, um, I had always wanted to co-write uh, to try it, see if it would work. So I had met uh, Jerry Sally at, uh, at one of the IBMAs one time, and I called him up on a whim. I said, listen, you know, uh, uh, would you ever be interested in, uh, you know, maybe co-writing sometime? And he said, yeah, he would, but nothing came of that. So I called up Donnie Ulysses, and I said, would you be interested in trying co-writing with me? She said, sure so when i went to world of bluegrass uh in 2012 i get there a little early the day before it started on a friday and donna set up a time for me to co-write with her at her publishing company at hadley music and i was jumping out of my skin excited i'm going to write with her like a real great writer so i didn't even have a guitar with me and and i get there i get into uh, nashville and I I couldn't find the place so I had a handheld GPS and I'm running down the street street after street trying to find it because I it wouldn't register where I was supposed to go I was like 20 minutes late pouring sweat exhausted I'm thinking this is gonna be a horrible train wreck of a writing experience so I get in there and I walked in the room and I said I'm sorry I'm late but I really want to write He said, oh that's fine Rick so oh by the way um, Jerry Sally had a writing appointment canceled, and he's here, and he was wondering if he could join us. And I'm thinking, like, why don't you two write? Because I'm like, I don't know if I could contribute anything worthwhile. I'd never co-written. No, it'll be fine. The three of us will write a song together. She's the loveliest person in Bluegrass, yeah, I think. She is so kind and, and made me feel good about it. So let's sit down and write a song. Oh, by the way, we're um, um, getting ready um, um, to... To record a brand new Christmas album that's got all songs about the birth of Jesus and we we want to write a song to go on that album and I'm thinking like got to be kidding me so this is beyond cool so we sat down there with Donna and Jerry by the time we get done we wrote this song uh, morning in Bethlehem which is one of the featured songs on Donna's uh, Christmas album all the way to Bethlehem that we wrote together And that's my first co-writing experience. Wow. You started at the top. (laughs) At the top with those two. And then I realized, maybe I could really do this. So after I came back from the Leadership Bluegrass um, event, I said, I should go to Nashville sometimes and try to find people to write with. So I get a hold of people that I heard of, like John Weisberger, and Troy Engel, who was living in Nashville at the time, and a couple other people, and I said, nah, "You don't really know me, but like, uh, I, you know, I would like love an opportunity to write together." And they said, "Well, sure. Next time you're in town, let me know." So I booked the trip. I started writing with Troy. Started writing with John Weisberger, and and a few other people. The first song I wrote with John Weisberger got cut. The first song I wrote uh, was cut by. Uh, uh, Missy Warner, and the first song I wrote with Troy Engel, uh, "Best Laid Plans," was cut by Larry Stevenson, and like, wow, <laughs> this would be, this is beyond cool. So I started reaching out to other people, I started booking week trips, making songwriting appointments with people as I, uh, as I networked and found out about other people I could write with, and it grew to where like today I I probably have three dozen people like I co-write with. And, and I would say, since COVID started, uh, I probably write, an, an, on the average, at least four to five days a week. I've had weeks that I've written
1: seven days a week with people all over the country. Mm. Uh, let me ask you, uh, where did you learn of the legality of songwriting? Like, uh, when you were sending out these tapes with your work on mm. it, your intellectual property, mm. how did you protect yourself? how did how would a songwriter protect themselves from a band running off and recording and claiming it was theirs how do you do that
2: well at the time i I, I didn't know what i was doing I was just totally totally uh, just winging it and i did, and I had read up on on copyright protecting your songs and uh, and so i would i would uh, register the songs with a library of uh, Congress and copyright them, but I wasn't very faithful about it. And then, but my mom was on my tail all the time about that. She would say, "So, so, so, so uh, I started sending uh, sending them songs, and I could barely afford the cost of registering because I was didn't have much money at the
1: How time." How much does it cost to register?
2: Not a lot, but I think it's probably $45 every time you That's register. That's the number I've heard. It's like $45. So I found a way you could regist- register a collection. You can register a whole bunch of songs at the same time. But then I got kind of careless, and I, I wasn't registering them. So my mom would always ask me, like, you've, you've protected your songs, right? I said, Mom, if you heard half these songs, like nobody in the planet's going to record and steal these songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we, you're going you're gonna, to... You know, was somebody going to steal a, a piece of a tire that fell off on the road? <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. Like, a lot of these songs are really not very good, but I'm copywriting them anyway. So you make sure to copyright every one of your songs. Somebody like Lee Greenwood may record them one day. So <laughs> she, she would kind of lift me up. And it was kind of comical because I'm thinking, Mom, I... Moms I, are great, are I, 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 I love you for the thought. That would be so really cool, but Lee, Lee, Lee... Lee Greenwood would take my tape and probably crush it with a hammer and throw it away. But, but, but my, mom, my mom gave me a lot of encouragement. And when I was dejected and, and not doing well, I said, God, you know, this, I don't know if I can really make it as a songwriter. And I'm old. I didn't start till I was in my 40s. I'm too old for this. And then she would bring up Lee Greenwood again. Lee Greenwood didn't really get really popular until he was in his 50s, Rick. This, don't, don't you worry about your age. So she was always there to give me hope and inspiration, um, and uh, and kept me going when I kind of was full of self doubt about everything.
1: Have you written a song about that?
2: I have not, but I've written songs as a tribute to my mom. Um, on my first, on my very my first gospel record called "Look Look to the Light," that was uh, produced by um, uh, John Miller and Jesse Brock. Uh, I wrote a song as a tribute to my mom that actually John sings on there called Mama's Prayer Beats and it was a tribute to my mom and, and her encouragement and always leaning on her faith and when times are hard and I kind of I dedicated that album to her memory um, and uh, I still have those prayer beats that I wrote that song about at home.
1: That's nice very nice. Now uh, you've been nominated. I think, this year and last year, for a mentor award? Yeah. Yeah, so what are you doing, uh, and how, that, how did that start?
2: Well, I, first of all, I never considered myself a mentor. I'd just be a guy that would help others, uh, other songwriters. Uh, in the last, you know, six or eight years, more up-and-coming songwriters, the people who want to be songwriters, would reach out to me. Ask if I would listen to one of their songs and give them any ideas and how they could get better, and uh, and I was just felt honored that they would reach out to me, and and I would take everyone seriously and I would, so it's a countless number of people that I said sure send me what you have and I'll listen to it and if I have any ideas I'll send it to you, and um, I started helping people, and uh, and um, and I then I realized. Maybe I'm at a point where I can help others. And uh, and I should have that be part of my part of my plan on mentoring. I never use the word mentoring, but helping others who, who, who need fresh ears to somebody to help them when they when they're stuck. So I encourage people to do it and like all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting more people all the time. Asking me to listen to their songs and give them some advice, and how can I make the song better, or, or would you help me finish the song? So, all of a sudden, it, I'm doing a lot of it, and uh, so I, I was, I was encouraged to put my name in for mentor of the year a couple of years ago, and never thought anything would come of it, and I was actually nominated, which, to me, out of anything you could be nominated for. I can't think of any anything that's more of a anything that would one up being nominated and recognized for helping others. To me, that's the ultimate thing you could do in life. So I was just, I just was, I was just kind of blown away that I would be considered for that. And this year, I was nominated again, and I just, um, I just am very, very, uh, very grateful. And I am. Um, I was really surprised because I'm sure there's so many people who have done so much more than me, but to be recognized in that group is just, just, uh, you know, it just makes my, warms my heart.
1: It's wonderful. Now, if Howard and I decided to give up podcasting and we wanted to go into the songwriting business, uh, how do we start? Pencil paper and sit down and have an idea for a song, or how do you start? I mean, get out our rhyming book. Uh, what do we do?
2: What do you do? You know, writing songs is no. It's really not much different than uh, what you do when you converse with somebody. When you have a conversation. When you have a conversation with somebody, you have something you want to communicate. Right? So you think about what you want to communicate, and then you try to find the words to express what you want to say. That's what conversation's all about. That's what songwriting is all about. You, the, the key is to start off with a good idea or a concept for the song that means something to you, something that resonates with you, something that, you know, you know something that makes you feel something, an experience, or, or, something, or something that happened to you or someone else, or a story that really kind of captures your attention. And you can just feel it when that happens. So you just take that and you just try to put all your thoughts down, whatever you can think about it, on paper. And then you, then you just try to organize your thoughts. A lot of times it's good to, when you're starting out, if you can uh, have someone help work with you to, to, to organize your thoughts is good. That's why the IBMA has this uh, uh, songwriter mentor program that Tony Rackley has overseed for overseen for quite a few years and and uh, they have maybe 15 exceptional songwriters uh, on the on a on a list that he'll partner you with so you could get together with them maybe virtually explain your idea and they can kind of help you through the process Mm. and that that's a really good feature that some people do take advantage of uh, especially if you're just starting out just to connect you with somebody who's had a lot of experience and they can kind of help you, help you through the process and, and help you write a song. So by the time you're done, you kind of understand the process and, and kind of the, kind of the methodology to it. Then after that, you kind of understand his, how it works and then you can, then you can kind of go off, go on, on your own. But that's worked really, really well for a lot of people.
1: You start with the lyrics or the music first?
2: Either way. Uh, it can be done both ways. I think I know, I know some musicians who are great musicians who might start with a melody first because they're musicians and melody people and they create riffs and, and melodies on their instrument. And then there's other people who are, uh, start with lyrics and then figure out the music afterwards. For me personally, I do better when I write to a melody. Like, if you take a song like If You're Happy and You Know It, well, you know what the melody is to that. It's memorable, right? So somebody came up with this music to that song, which, which I'm sure there's been a lot of income from whoever wrote that song, and uh, and and put words to it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. They just put words over the melody notes, and it's a, a very simple happy song. If you if you have a melody to to write write to. Um, then it's easier because you're kind of pairing the melody and, and the lyrics because you you want the lyric to flow flow uh, and, and parallel the uh, the melody through the song. So sometimes doing them together is really helpful, but it happens in different ways. I've written songs where somebody's r- wrote an instrumental tune and I put lyrics to it, and and uh, it came out to be turned out to be a really good tune, and I've done it the other way too, but. There's no right or wrong way. Every song is different. Sometimes a musical idea will come to you first, and sometimes it will come to you last. There's no one way to do it. And I think your own methodology, it it will just sort of happen. You, as you as you go through the process, uh, your own sequence of how the things flow will just come to you, you
1: know,
2: organically and naturally. And. Uh, there's, there's nothing like the creative process. and it's just so much fun, it's challenging and rewarding. and you have a chance to, to express something that means a lot to you and will, will mean a lot to the people who listen to your song. Uh, and that's the thing too is you know if you can write something, write about something that resonates with you and resonates with the listeners, that's kind of the home run that you know write a song like I wrote this song, with Daryl Mosley earlier this year, called Transistor Radio. And like we wrote it, and I was so so. I should tell you a little bit about that. Is that okay? So, so we had one of our writing sessions, and quite often I'll I'll bring the ideas to the table, and sometimes Daryl does, but quite often I'll come up with an idea, and I was going down through my ideas, and I always had this idea about. Um, write a song about a transistor radio and, and how with a lot of us who have gotten older, that's how we listened to music 40 or 50 years ago. And we listened to baseball games on a little transistor radio. And the first music that we heard, that we loved, we heard on there. And that was an important part of our lives. I told Daryl and he flipped out over it because he like, yeah. So he was, because uh, he lived, had the same experience as me. And he was just chomping at the bits to tell that story. So we wrote that song in like an hour, I think, because it poured out of us. It was the very first song I'd ever been part of where in the same song, we paid a tribute to Elvis, to Bill Monroe, and to Aretha Franklin, and to Motown in a song, in a bluegrass song. And I'm thinking like, who does that? That's so cool. And we get done writing a song, and he was really... He really loved it, and he said, you know, Rick, I just finished up my brand new album, but this has got to go on it. I'm going to call uh, uh, Danny Roberts, his producer, and tell him we have to add one more song to the record. This has to go on there. Within two or three weeks, he recorded it, went on the album, he released it as a single because he just loved the story behind the song and what it means. and. That's just how it happened. And
1: it's doing very well on the charts, right? Yeah. And you know I, why? DJs like songs about radio. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. They yeah. go, oh, this has got to be good because it's about radio.
2: Right. There's not enough songs about radio. <laughs> um, I don't think that there are. I think there's a lot more room, room for songs like that. I can't really t- tell the name of it, but I wrote, I wrote a song... With a uh, with a good friend of mine, Troy Engel, that I think you're going to hear about sometime within the next year. That's
1: a tribute to radio DJs.
2: Uh, that's, that's really, really good.
1: And you have to include podcasters too.
2: A podcaster. Yes. Too. There you go. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do. We'll have to do an edit. We'll have to do, do a last minute edit. But but I think I think in writing songs, I mean, you listen to music all the time, right? Okay. So you hear a subject matter that's covered a lot, or too much, like some certain matters, like there's way too many songs about this, like there's tons and tons. But finding a story that hasn't been told, or something that really hasn't, something really interesting and nobody's covered, that is, that is the, the goal, to find something, it's a story that hasn't been told. It's a subject matter that nobody's really covered, that would be fascinating. So you're coming up with something new, like, wow what is that you know if it's based on real-life experience and something that actually happened and is real those are the best songs so things that things that are real um, like oh this is really cool my my, my our youngest daughter Heather I'd say she's young she's 40 now so <laughs> my youngest daughter is 40 wow wow so she, she gets up early and goes down to the ocean and takes these amazing sunrise pictures mm-hmm. down, down off the coast. And we've been posting some of them on Facebook. And, and it, it, there's, uh, there's this beautiful red sky and orange sky. They're spectacular pictures. So one time I was posting one of the sunrises and, um, and uh, a few days later I had a songwriting appointment with Tim Stafford and sometimes he'll come up with an idea that we're gonna pursue and sometimes I will. So this time he says, hey Rick, I'll tell you what, let's, let's write about one of those amazing sunrise pictures you've been posting on Facebook and we, to celebrate how beautiful they are and being down at the ocean to see the sun come out of the sea. We wrote this great song called Atlantic Sunrise with Tim Stafford based on watching the sunrise out of the
1: Atlantic Ocean in the morning. <laughs> there are en- endless possibilities. Yes. So, what what are your plans now? To uh, you're going to just keep on doing what you're doing, or you have ideas to change? There's a Rick Lang singers scholarship, I understand.
2: Yeah, I uh, s- established a songwriting scholarship to to help young people further their education uh, for anybody going to uh, uh, to uh, a college that uh that includes a, a songwriting as part of the cur- curriculum that it kind of help people be able to afford to pursue their dream uh and uh, so i started doing that because i decided i wanted to try to give something back to young people uh, who really need a help getting started and um so I did that, and that's been that's been gone over well. And, and I've got to meet these young people, and and, and write write with write with some of them, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And and stay connected somehow.
1: And and how do people find out about that scholarship, and how who administers it, and all?
2: Well, there's actually two of them. There's one I, I set up with East Tennessee State University, at the at the university. Um, uh, gives out once a year uh, that they that's that all done through them. And it, it has to be through somebody attending ETSU. And, but the, the other one, but I thought I wanted to do something more, more uh, general that can reach out to more people too. So I established one with uh, the Bluegrass Foundation. Uh, so it would be uh, anybody who uh, would be eligible if they, if they were part of the IBMA and um, and you know somebody who's has songwriting as part of their uh, their their future and part of their curriculum started doing that a couple of years ago and it it uh, it was very well received so I set up the Rick Lang uh, song music songwriting scholarship and and uh, it, it's just been. way of giving back. So
1: they could look that up online uh, at the IBM a foundation IBM a foundation and and uh, Nancy uh, Cardwell Webster has has helped
2: set the whole thing up so she's a good be good contact for that and and uh, it just
1: turned up to be something that I'm hoping to continue every year. So Rick uh, the business I know that you love the art of songwriting but a lot of people don't know much about the business of songwriting and Say uh, how do you what is the art of the pitch? How do you approach a band or a singer, or do they approach you? Uh, what is the business? What is that dance all about?
2: Well, I think that that's different with most people. I think that people who are the, 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 the most in-demand songwriters like Mark Brinkman and Tim Stafford and guys like that, that have been doing it longer, a lot of people come to them looking for songs, because they're the, they're the, they're, they're the ones that have been the most prolific songwriters and, and, and have long-term successes. So they get approached by people a lot, and, and, I, and I do to some degree, but a lot of times I, I take the initiative to reach out to bands, um, people I know in bands asking if they're looking for songs to record and uh, if a band's looking for songs i'll send them some uh if uh, if i hear back if they a band uh sends me notes saying i like this particular song would you put it on hold for us i'll say sure which means i just stop sending out to other people and usually you do that for a reasonable amount of time it could be four to six months or something like that because a lot of times these projects take time to come to fruition sometimes you never hear from the band and they didn't record it and that's very common uh but when i'm in doubt i'll check with somebody you know and just ask them but uh, most of the time when a band asks tells me they're going to record a song um they actually end up recording it and i don't don't work with every band i i always reach out to bands that i feel are the right fit for that song Mm -hmm. like bands like i would i would love to have this band do that song and bands that I have a good relationship with and it will be pretty uh, transparent with me just to kind of make it easier and if I have any questions I just ask them. I said do you still have an interest in it or you want to let it go and I think if you're a good communicator it goes better uh, the better communicator you are it makes the whole process easier I found in, in music a lot of times I uh, uh, lack of communication usually causes a little bit of chaos and problems, which is a common thing.
1: What do you got up and coming for music?
2: I, I almost forgot about the story song album. Back in um, back in 2014, Stephen Mojan uh, and I were planning on working together for this new story song album, uh, a collection of 12 or 13 story songs that I've written or co-written, based on real-life stories and real-life experiences. Stephen loved the idea and wanted to work with me on it and produce it. So we started working on it, selecting the songs, selecting artists and singers who'd be on there, and we are planning to record it back then, and then for a variety of reasons it got delayed this year, it got delayed another year, and we decided to wait. It wasn't its time quite yet. Well, in the meantime, I ended up... Working with Jerry Sally uh, recording gonna sing gonna shout because it was this big sp- Piece of time I had I said I couldn't record a new gospel record So we did that but the, the story song album <laughs> was still gonna happen, but it wasn't gonna happen back then so so I said just w- wait till the time is right so uh, Steven and Jana uh, got a, uh, a new place built a brand new studio his label started to, to, to evolve with artists and it was getting closer to the time and it would be an ideal time to record the story song record. So it's pretty much all recorded now. Uh, the album title is called A Tale to Tell and they're all fascinating uh, story songs, uh, all real life things that happen that are just really, that people have never heard these. These are like, I think it would interest people to hear. To hear, this, to hear these stories because they're unlike most story songs you've heard. And we're going to release it, I think, uh, late winter, early spring, and it features uh, all-star casting musicians, and it features a lot of really great vocalists. And I'm really, really excited to, to, have a, to release a new concept album of all story songs that I think people will enjoy. When I, first got, when, I, when I first got hooked on songwriting, I developed this real deep passion and love for, for, song, for really good songs. But then I thought, well, i will do it for a while, but eventually the, the passion would be gone and I would lose interest. Like, sometimes you'd lose interest in things. But that was over 30 years ago, and I can honestly say that the love and passion I have for songwriting is greater than it's ever been 30 years later. And I just hope to keep on doing this for as long as uh, I'm in good health.
0: That was Katie Daly with songwriter and mentor Rick Lang. For more about Rick, his songs, the art, and the business of songwriting, we encourage you to visit his website, ricklangmusic.com. Bluegrass Stories is hosted on soundcloud.com and can be streamed on SoundCloud, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and katiedaily.com. As always, thanks for listening to Bluegrass Stories.